welcome to the Being a Dad on Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Bobby Benavides, and I am excited to um, have Alan Smith here today uh, to discuss his book, Men Fight for Me, um, a conversation around uh, human trafficking and um, sexual exploitation. So I'm, I'm looking forward to having the conversation. So Alan, thank you for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me, Bobby. I love the conversation. I love that you're speaking to dads. Uh, this, I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, you know, I am... Um, my my wife and I are huge uh, per, uh, supporters of the End It Movement campaign. Uh, we've always been involved in, in learning more about uh, sexual exploitation and human trafficking, try to stand up against that, doing what we can. We talk to our kids all the time about the importance of using our voices to speak out, um, especially uh, around this topic. And so I'm excited to have you on to, to kind of pour into this a little bit more and to talk about the importance of men, especially dads, our role in standing up against this. So, um, so thank you again for joining us today because it's going to be it's going to be good. So, um, so Alan, so you serve as the executive director for Saving Innocence. Tell me more about what that what that organization is, does, and what you do. Yeah, thank you. Uh, Saving Innocence is an eleven year old anti trafficking uh, nonprofit organization. We're based in Los Angeles. We're boots on the ground in in all over LA. And that, but we train and consult around the country as well for other organizations that want to learn um, what we've learned. And I'm the executive director of the of the organization, which means uh, I'm responsible for <laughs> everything that happens. Basically, um, you know, the big picture is I work with outside partners and I work with direct services and the business operations and raise a little money along the way. And the the short version of what we do is we provide crisis response twenty four seven. Um, to child victims of sex trafficking. So when law enforcement or somebody else encounters what appears to be a minor, a child victim of sex trafficking, and we can unpack that a little bit if you want, um, then we respond around the clock um, with one of our amazing advocates, step into all that, and then begin to help this little girl, mostly little girls, get this little girl, get her life back, and uh, begin to rehumanize her. Um, I say child victims, but that has been 11 years. We've just recently been named by the Federal Victims of Crime Unit um, to co-lead the task force in Los Angeles, which partnered with the Sheriff's Department, which means we embrace all forms of human trafficking now. It had been exclusively minors. Now we're working with adults and also labor trafficking. Um, So that's a short version of what we do. We're pushing against this ugly crime every day of the week, sometimes in the middle of the night, and trying to help these victims get uh, back on their feet and everything they need. So yeah, so um, let's unpack the child, um, the child victim then, because what what defines that? How do we? How do you recognize that? And then, um, and then, of course, we'll, we'll dive into your book. But I kind of want to hear how you guys define that and recognize that. Well, there's a federal definition of, uh, as to what human trafficking is, and there's three key words that define trafficking. And it's a force, fraud, or coercion. And so when somebody, a different person, a third-party controller, asserts their ownership over another person, a more vulnerable person, a younger, more vulnerable person, uh, the whole process is called slavery, the modern-day slavery. And so there's a trafficker or an exploiter that is asserting his power through force, fraud, or coercion, usually some sort of mixture of it, and then making the person that they're now controlling and owning do that which they don't want to do. And in some cases, and about in our country, it's about 20% of the trafficking cases are labor trafficking, you know, working in slave conditions 
in a warehouse, in a field, you know, somehow, some way, shape or form, um, making very little money, uh, being forced um, and coerced to be there. And about 80% of the trafficking cases are sex trafficking related. So making those that you are controlling, those vulnerable ones available to have some version of twisted sex by mostly men um, for money, that they don't get any of it. The trafficker keeps all the money, not that it makes it any better, but the trafficker doesn't get it. The, the victim doesn't keep any of their own money that they've earned. And, um, you know, that's six, eight, 10, 12, 15 times every single day. And so the average age of entry is about 12 years old. So I don't know how old your kids are, Bobby, but the average age of entry into sex trafficking is around 12, 13 years old. So you have these tiny little kids and that's the average age. So you know what that means. Um, the average age is 12 when they're thrown into literally being raped a dozen times a night, seven days a week uh, <laughs> until someone pulls them out or maybe they no longer live possibly through various ways, shape or form. So it's about as ugly as you can imagine it. And all the dads out there, I know there's a lot of dads listening. Um, you, it's about as ugly as you can imagine it. Like you can't think of anything worse happening to your own child somehow. And uh, that's what we're fighting against every day. Wow. Yeah, that's well, I mean, thank you for your work. Um, and we do. Yeah, we have a lot of dads. I mean, it's what we are, you know, it's focusing on dads, but there's a lot of parents that listen and, um, you know, to engage in this conversation is a heavy one, especially if, if we're not taking time to learn about it, you know, because the thing is, we hear that we are in a, in a crisis in the sense of having uh, more human slavery, you know, more slavery in, in our world than, than ever before, right? And so to hear about children being in the mix of this, it's, it's heavy. And so uh, we want to respond and we want to do it well. So thank you for your work and thank you for um, what you're going to be sharing today because you, you wrote this book, Men Fight for Me. So you co-authored it with Jessica McKiffin. And, and so in this work, though, um, what, what drove you to write this book? Um, because you share your story in it, which is a great story. Um, you know, but what drove you to write the book? So I had recently joined the Saving Innocence team about six years ago. Um, and I was learning, uh, sort of building the plane as they fly it. <laughs> I was learning everything there was to learn about trafficking stuff. I knew some, but I was really, the learning curve was steep. And I went to uh, a particular event, awareness event. It was on a, at a church on a Saturday for the community. And Jessica, my co-author, um, along with four or five other ladies, were asked to be on a panel, a discussion about you know, their experiences and what was happening. Jessica, my co-author, is a lived experience expert, we call them. And she tells her story in uh, enough detail to grab your attention that from age 11 to 21, she was trafficked, uh, sex trafficked in a really horrific way. So she's on the side of that now. She works with me. She's a colleague at Saving Innocence. Anyway, she's on the stage. And next to her was another woman named Rachel, who I knew by name only, and since then has become a friend. And in the middle of this conversation, um, Rachel sitting next to her tells her story and in the middle of her trauma and all the things that were going on with her was really, really, uh, you know, difficult for her. She says, um, I could, I could no longer fight for myself. And I gave up. I needed someone to fight for me. So she said that there was 200 people in the room. And I, I felt like she said it right to me in a way. Um, I needed someone to fight for me. Like I need to get out of this and I can't, I don't have the strength. I don't see a way out. I, I don't know, I, I tried to commit suicide. Oftentimes that, that comes into play. I need someone to fight for me. And so you stack that on top of what I've been learning that almost all of the buyers are men. 
almost all of the sex buyers are men. Women are too, but mostly men. And then almost all of the sellers or the traffickers in this business model, there's that third person middleman, if you will, the trafficker. Almost all of them are men. Almost all the buyers are men, almost all the sellers are men. Men are the problem. And now here I'm a man in this work. And by the way, anytime I go anywhere and I go detail in the book, that day and other days, there's almost no men there. And if you see another man or two or three, they probably work at the venue, wherever you're having the build, they open the door, you know. There's a, there's a, a small number of men part of this fighting part of the solution it's almost exclusively men as part of the problem and now the trafficking survivor on the stage saying i needed someone to fight for me so right then the bells went off i, I didn't think i'm going to write a book in that moment but it it further lit a, a sort of a fire in my belly if you will it's like okay here's my niche here's my lane i'm a man there's not many men in this work uh, i have survivors around me that i'm getting to know really well and they need someone to fight for them not in a way that is kind of some weird, oppressive kind of, um, let me save you kind of, you know, damsel in distress kind of a way, but in a real way, there's a real battle here. There's a real fight. It's ugly and it's as dark as you can imagine. And we need men to rise up, to get up, get off the couch, get, in, get off the sidelines, enter this battle, enter this fight on behalf of these dear, mostly younger uh, victims that have given up, they've lost the will. So that, that's kind of, the book was born right there. I just didn't have the language around, oh, I'm gonna write a book, but I kept talking, kept marinating. And then I approached Jessica, my co-author and a number of other amazing survivors said, this is what I'm thinking, a book focused on men for this fight. And they all immediately said, oh, we're in, and we're so glad you're doing it because there isn't anything else like this out there. There's not a survivor informed male um, speaking to men in a strong way. And so that, that, that's kind of the essence and the hope for the book. So in in your um, in your book, you you say um, that you have a strong passion to fight for those who cannot fight for themselves, and and I think that's a that's a great piece. And, and obviously, you can tell the way you just shared that you have that passion, you have that drive. And you know, when I look at my kids and I look at other kids, you know that that full on defines everything about them, right? They we have to be fighting for the people who cannot fight for themselves, and so we as dads, as men need to rise up like you just said to speak up and and actually it's interesting to me because like when i hear this like where you say that there aren't very many men who are in the conversation um but it's almost like we should have this in us already like a strong passion to stand up and speak for those and fight for those who cannot fight for themselves especially if we're dads so um so i thank you for that because i think that i commend you for for rising up and doing that and then and pouring it into other men uh, in this way. Because um, another thing you say in your book is that there's a lack of authentic, authentic, healthy, and positive masculinity that has reached a crisis point in our country. Yeah. Um, and I found that very intriguing because that because I want to know, like, what does that mean? How do you think we've gotten to that point? And then what does it look like to have authentic masculinity then in this in, in this world today? Yeah, that's kind of the teaser. If I'm going to say there's a lack of authentic, powerful, healthy masculinity and it's inauthentic, well, then what's the authentic version? If there's an inauthentic version, then what is it? And we'll get to that. How did we get here? Wow, that's a really big question. Societal, uh, I think there, it's not a simple answer. Um, I mean, if you look out today in the news or your social media, um, it's almost quote politically incorrect to even be a man anymore. Like you, you know, there's so many harmful versions of masculinity of men out there that have been oppressive and toxic and hurtful, and 
narcissistic and all the bad things you can think of. There's been so many of them that have been running amok because there hasn't been enough strong good men keeping them in check. And then you pair that with the, the abuse and the hurt that they're putting on women in general, treating them like objects and sometimes worse. And then there's a massive fatherlessness issue that has compounded and snowballed. And, you know, young boys desperately need a good, strong, healthy man in their life so they can understand what does it mean to be a real man? How should I talk to the waitresses in the restaurant? How should I treat another woman? I need to see it done because every version of masculinity that's being portrayed in the media and social media and movies and all those things, I shouldn't say every, but most, is an inauthentic counterfeit version, a diminished version, a toxic version. And then if you want to just, you know, <laughs> hey, listeners to this podcast, when you have a minute, get on Google and Google up a phrase or two that says something like demeaning song lyrics about women, something like that. And you'll be inundated with the most repulsive, uh, vicious, ugly, demeaning terms ever imaginable by some of the most successful, famous entertainers in our country, if not the world. And they're making their money by talking about women as if they're objects to be used and discarded at a later time. That's what a lot of the popular music, certainly the hip hop rap scene, and then you stack on top of that. A lot of dads aren't there physically. And a lot of the dads that are there, they're not there mentally and emotionally for their kids. No dads, terrible media pictures of, of uh, what masculinity is. There's some kind of a fight that you almost can't even quote identify as a man. You can't even be a man because somehow that's wrong. You know, it's got this crazy upside down thing where our world, we're in a free fall right now. And in the middle, the... the the, the 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 fall of that is our is our little boys and our little girls they're growing up in a society that is twisted and not providing great examples and our little boys are taking their cues on masculinity from <laughs> i won't leave any name, i won't say any names they're taking their cues from the media messaging and the movies and the billboards and our little girls also equally as tragic they don't see up close oftentimes what it means to have healthy, appropriate affection and attention. How does a man treat a woman? What can I expect from a future boyfriend and a future husband? What should happen? And, and the confusing message I think is happening is that because our bigger society is letting all this happen, that our young kids think, I guess that's the way it is. I guess that's okay. Because all the adults in the room don't seem to have a problem with it. Like the people that run the Super Bowl hired the people to do the halftime show that if you look at the song lyrics on most of those entertainers they're the most they're the worst vile disgusting lyrics imaginable towards women well then i guess it's okay i guess that's i guess i should be treated like a piece of garbage i guess i should treat women like garbage because that's the messaging i'm getting so that's a long answer uh we could unpack that for days but um our society has got took a left turn somewhere and we're teaching our kids something that's hurtful. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, that's a great point. I mean, and I guess like as from a, from a perspective of somebody who grew up uh, from, I'm from Southern California, you know, uh, the hip hop scene is a part of who I am, but you're right. Right. This is, I mean, that, and that's, that is an ownership thing, right? Like when do we, where do we draw the line and then how do we explain it? And, and possibly in, and I have addressed this before in my podcast and other episodes, 
Um, but you know, 18.4 million children are in homes without a father, right? Without a biological father figure, or even just a father figure at all. So that's a that's a big crisis that we have on our hands in the United States, especially. So, um, you know, how do we go into it explaining the the differences? How do we explain the nuances of, of hip hop music? How do we explain the nuances of what we see? Because I think that's another fault of ours. We expect kids to understand. And we don't even try to explain. We don't even try to like walk them through like, okay, so this is what's being said or this is what's being shown, but maybe how do we shift their understanding of like, okay, um, yeah, you may see this, but this is really what it, what yeah. you should be thinking about. So taking that responsibility, you know, understanding like as men, we have a responsibility to speak into it. We should be speaking truth. Um, and also if we, if we're not willing to explain it to our kids and, and be truthful about it, then maybe we shouldn't be taking it on ourselves, right? Because it's a responsibility piece. Um, as Spider-Man has told us over and over again, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So um, as our in our role, we have great responsibility to give. Yep. Um, so then we talk about our kids. We talk about how they're easily put into the situation in a sense, right? I mean, they're easily put into the situation. So there's some vulnerabilities that they have, right? There's some things about them that... Um, and so what are the vulnerabilities? How do we address those things? And, and, and how, because, and how are they preyed upon, but then how do we address them as men and as father figures? What can we be doing with that? Yeah. And you said an important word in there, they're preyed upon. So some of the vulnerabilities that children have are nothing has gone wrong in their home or their house or their, with their parents or anything like that. They're just children. They lack life experiences. That's what makes them kids. They've only been alive for six years or 10 years or eight years. They haven't been outside and, you know, been knocked down a couple of times. So there's vulnerabilities of just youth and curiosity and not understanding in an appropriate way. And then there's vulnerabilities that come from an unstable household, from a missing dad, like we just talked about. Um, that creates a giant level of vulnerabilities. Um, we've had so many of these trafficking survivors talk about the 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 hard relationship with their parents at home. And in a lot of cases, when their dad was gone, they immediately felt unwanted and it created a, a hole in their heart, if you will, a gap that uh, a young child tries to fill. And there are plenty of people that have bad intentions that will try to fill that space and then exploit them. So maybe a dad is missing. And in the worst case scenario, vulnerabilities are happening when that child has been abused or traumatized somehow at an early age. When that kid goes all the way down that path and becomes a kid that we know at Saving Innocence, which means they've been trafficked for sex, a huge percentage of those kids have experienced an early childhood abuse uh, of a sexual nature by somebody close to them that was supposed to be protecting them. So that has rewired their brain and put them in a survival mode. <clears throat> it's, it's all but destroyed their sense of self, their self-worth, any kind of confidence and it's created these major gaps that are longing to be filled by people with bad intentions. And for that child who's been through that, they haven't actually seen a healthy male in their life and they can't tell the difference when an unhealthy one comes in because they've never seen a good version. They, they can't spot the counterfeit because they've never seen the real thing. So those are some of the vulnerabilities. You stack all those things together and all of our kids are at risk. Even if you're doing the best job at, as you possibly can and you've got a great home and a great marriage and you dad are engaged and and all things are good your child is still at some level at risk uh, the fbi says there's 900,000 predators online so if your kids are old enough to have their own phone uh, their own social media beware um, 
you, you see, you've seen the, the National Geographic, you know, images and pictures. And, you know, what does that lion, that predator do, right? It's calculated. It's not random. He sits in the tall grass. He's downwind. And then the big herd comes through. And usually when you see those clips, the beginning of the herd is all the big, strong, older animals. Does he jump on them? Not very often. He sits there and he waits for that little one that's a little slower, that's a little vulnerable, that fell behind the pack. He jumps on the, the little one that has the vulnerabilities. He doesn't jump on the big, strong, confident ones. That's a predator. He's preying on the vulnerabilities. And, and that's in a human form. That's exactly what's happening on the internet, on social media. There are predators out there looking for the slow, small, lacking confident ones. So what can dads do? Uh, raise your child, both your son and your daughter, to be strong and confident and knowledgeable. Understand where the lion is. Understand his tactics. Be there for them. Let them feel your belief and trust in them. Don't create any gap for somebody else to fill. You be that guy in their life, that man in their life that's doing life with them and protecting them the best you can. That'll make a difference. It's huge. So big. Yeah, I think, and, and you know, I think finding the opportunity to really pour into our children and, and, and you said something um, intentionally being involved, right? Figuring out how to be intentionally involved in every aspect of the lives and, and not allowing a gap, right? We, I think sometimes we allow our work to overtake us. We allow, and then because our work is overtaking us, now we're not allowing our, our time to be able to like cultivate that relationship with our kids. And so we've got to be aware of those things and, and 900,000, that's incredible. That's an incredible number that you just shared. That's, I didn't realize that was that, that big. I mean, you hear, you hear about it, you know, you see all this stuff, but it's like, when they start making TV shows about it, I think it kind of uh, desensitizes us a little bit. Um, you know, it's like you, I, I saw on Discovery, there's like a, a new documentary or a, a show anyway, that's on Discovery about um, uh, like how to catch a predator, basically in a sense. And so when you're watching it, it's like, okay, like, well, it's on TV. It's, it's probably not as, as bad as they're, they're making it more extreme. They're making it more, um, but no, when you watch, so you watch these shows and you think about these shows, it kind of makes it where, um, you know, we kind of think that maybe it's not as big of a deal because they've created a Hollywood scene to it. So how do we, I guess, how do we actually put a stop to it? Because if we, if we see it in, in that light, then it's like, okay, it's desensitized, but this is now saying this is a real thing. This is something we have to be aware of. We have to address. So now how do we fight against it? What do we need to do to get involved with it? Um, not just with our kids, but even beyond. What can we be doing? Well, and that's a great answer. And I'll, before I say that, I'll just lead into the idea that in terms of the size of the problem, uh, we estimate there's at least 300,000 children being trafficked for sex here in the United States. These are US born American citizens, 300,000 or more, honestly. And you look at global trafficking, some 40 to 45 million people being trafficked for labor or sex worldwide. There's more slaves via human trafficking today than at any time in human history. So this is not a small thing. It's the fastest growing crime in the world. And the fastest growing criminal enterprise in the world is human trafficking. So this is not over glamorized. This is not sense, you know, over, you know, kind of shot at through Hollywood. I mean, it might be in certain cases, but it's a legitimate major growing problem. What can we do about it? Um, well, that's the essence of the book, Men Fight For Me. And by the way, uh, we created a little website called fightforme.net. It's for sale on Amazon. You go straight there if you want. 
but we, we ask people to take one more step and go to fightforme.net. You can buy the book off that website, but then also the, the, there's a lot of contributors and their bios. There's a lot of links and resources and other books and other things that you can just look around. So maybe step one, what you can do is to buy this book <laughs> and um, get a little more involved in understanding what's happening. That, that'll kind of fuel your next step. Um, ultimately, though, the, the, the message of the book is to challenge uh, generations of men. And a lot of women are reading it, too, by the way, and loving it. Um, but there is a special emphasis to the male audience because, you know, we're the problem. And, and I do talk about authentic masculinity. And I, I, there's four pillars of masculinity, which are very central to, to solving this, this horrific crime. If we can get enough men living out these four pillars, it'll go out into our community and our neighborhood and our city and our state and our country. And just briefly, I'll just say, I mean, we'll go into great detail in chapter four of the book. So get the book and you can read about it. Um, but one, he accepts responsibility. Uh, pillar one, of an authentic man, a healthy man, one that's bringing healing and rather than hurt to the world is his accepting responsibility. How many times do we see men shirking their responsibilities, stepping out on their families, letting someone else raise their kids, or maybe they're in the home, but they're just not leaning into the responsibilities like we would want all men to do. And, and it starts at home, look at yourself. There are responsibilities that are right there in front of you that are your responsibilities. Do those, of course. But the challenge for, for an authentic man, a real man, is that he not only accepts those, but he steps into a few that maybe aren't technically his. He's going to take responsibility for, his, for the street that he lives on, the neighbors and the, and the kids down the street, and making sure, you know, if you see something, you say something. And, and maybe the city and the county, like, you just step into a bigger fight. I think most men want to step into a bigger fight. It's, it's hardwired within us. Accept responsibilities. Uh, number two, he leads courageously. So it's going to take courageous leadership to stand up against. When you're talking about the fastest growing crime in the world, you're talking about 45 million victims. You know, you've seen maybe the documentaries, uh, Epstein had his island. And I mean, the manifest of who went to that island. I mean, we're talking the rich, famous and powerful people are part of this problem directly. And they're not going to take too kindly to you blowing the whistle, to you standing up. It's going to take courage to do that. And more realistically, with your buddies on a Friday night or any night, uh, hey, let's go down to the strip club. Okay, it's going to take some courage to tell your friends that that's not cool because most of those girls up there don't want to be there. They're being forced to be there. It's going to take courage to challenge your friend to turn off their computer after hours and don't look at pornography because most of the people on the screen don't want to be there. Non-consensual sex is called rape. Like It's going to take courage to stand up against some of these things. So we need to we need a whole generation of men to lead courageously. Uh, the third one is he lives a life of service. Um, one of my contributors in the book says, when a man takes, he loses all credibility. So a real man doesn't take, he doesn't serve himself, the kingdom of self. He's, he's serving his community. He's serving those around him. He's building up. And then the last uh, pillar of this authentic masculinity that we say is that he understands that who he is, like the internal, the integrity, the character, the honesty, that like who he is as a person is more important than what he does. So, you know, whatever job you do, if you're a mechanic, if you're a CEO, if you're an athlete, like it doesn't matter, all those things, great, go do what you do, go be you and do, do what you want to do. But just know that who you are in the middle of it, who you are behind the scenes, who you are when no one's looking, that's what's most important. And that's what a real man does. And so we defined it in the book. And then really that came from 
thing with two of my buddies and I, we did with our boys uh, when they started five years old, we kind of walked through their adolescence, reinforcing all of these um, pillars, if you will. And um, if we can get a whole, I mean, can you imagine the world, what the world would be like if we went over the tipping point, whatever that is, do we need 20 million? Do we need a hundred million? Do we need, I don't know how many people, we need a billion, but if we can get enough men accepting responsibility for their actions and the actions of their community, for leading courageously every opportunity, for living a life of service and for focusing on their interior rather than their exterior. There's no room for trafficking in that world. There's no room for exploitation. There's no room for a rogue country taking over another country because the men around the people that are making those decisions aren't gonna let them ha happen. There's no room for a lot of problems. Um, so that's authentic masculinity uh, in my humble opinion. And we talk about it in the book and we break it down. Um, men, you can take that as is if you like it, if you wanna tweak it and add a different pillar and add something to it or take something away, whatever. I think what's important is that we give our little boys, and we started at age five, give your little boys, I call the gift of clarity. What is it to be a man? There's no clear answer. Is it an age? Is it when you turn 18 or 21? Is it when you get married? Is it when a boy has sex? Does that make him a man? Like, what's the answer to when you become a man? Well, give them the answer. Here's the answer, guys. It's, it's one who practices these four things. And we're going to celebrate it when we see it. We're going to correct it when we don't see it. And we're going to work this out together. And if we can get enough men doing that. And spoil alert, guys, it starts with you. It starts with you looking in the mirror. The name of the chapter in the book is called Looking in the Mirror. And all this starts at you got to get right in your own mind and heart and then lead your family in a certain way and then go outward from there. And um, it's, that's a world I want to live in. When I, when I look at my boys and I, and I think to myself, like, this is what I want them to be. You know, I want them to have good character. I want them to have, I want them to have good moral value. I want them to stand upon um, a, a man who lived by what I want them to be. Right. So if I want them to be a person who res respects women and, and stands up for the, for those who um, can't stand up for themselves, who will fight for those who can't fight for themselves, then I need to do that too. And so I, I, I appreciate that so much. It's so good. So you shared, you can get the book at fightforme.net and, um, and I'm going to put that in the show notes. I'm going to put in those, uh, those four pillars as well in the show notes. Cause I think those are very, very important for people to know. Um, they can also go to savinginnocence.org to get involved with the organization to kind of see more of what you do and support you in, in your work there as well. Is that correct? Savinginnocence.org would be fantastic. Come poke around, watch some videos, learn more about what's happening. Um, if you want to make a little donation, we wouldn't say no, but, um, I would also invite your listeners to Google up a anti-trafficking org near me, you know, wherever you are, find out what they need, go to their website, um, find out how many, here's something I say on everyone, every time I do a podcast, find the local trafficking agency, anti-trafficking, I should say, find out, call them, email them, go to the staff, whatever the website, find out how many staff they have. Let's say they got a dozen staff on their team that are out doing this. Find out what that number is. Next time you go to the store, buy a Starbucks gift card for everybody or something like that. Send it in the mail. This is to the staff, to the heroes that are doing this work. Thank you for what you're doing. We see you. We're cheering you on. I cannot tell you how strong and powerful that will be to the people that are up around the clock, laying their life on the line for these victims, and to have somebody else notice them, cheer them on, appreciate them. Everybody that's listening can do that. Requires no education. <laughs> it's not a lot of money. 
Everybody can do that. And if you can't find an agency, send them to Saving Innocence. We'll, we'll put, put them to good use. But um, get involved. The, the book is challenging. There's an unmistakable call to action throughout the book, and, and especially near the end of the book. And my challenge is do something. Get involved. Pick it. You get to choose. Give your gifts and talents. Give some money. You're a graphic designer. Offer to do some free graphic design. If you're not any of those things, uh, email them and, and encourage them and thank them for the work. You can do something. You can, 100% can do something. And we need you to do it. Yeah. It's great. So, yeah, so dads, you're listening. Um, Alan is doing some great work. And Alan, they can, um, where can they f- reach you at? Like, if they want to talk to you directly, is there a way for them to do that? There is. If you go to fightforme.net, there's a little tab at the top, contact, I think it says, and it takes you to the screen. You can email me uh, right from our website at fightforme.net. I would love to get an email from anybody and um, email you back and help you process anything or answer a question. Awesome. And as you said, you know, looking in the mirror is a very important piece. And as dads, if there's things that maybe in your life you need to address, do it. Um, but also look at your children and realize that if you want them to grow up in a, in a safer place, you want them to be um, changing the world, well, then you have to start doing it too. So yep. they learn from you. So Alan, thank you, author of Men Fight For Me, um, the role of authentic uh, masculinity at ending sexual exploitation and trafficking. Thank you so much for the conversation. Uh, we appreciate your work. And um, man, I, I have to have you on again sometime talking more about this issue because because it, it doesn't stop after this. So um, so it needs to it needs to continue. Well, thank you, Bobby. It's an honor to be here. I appreciate you shining your light on this topic. I'll come back anytime, and and maybe a good time to come back. We're actually right now in the middle of putting this book on an audio version, and we're doing something interesting. I think it's interesting. All the survivors that are telling their stories, they're coming into the studio one more time putting their story from their words. They themselves are saying their story. It's incredibly powerful. So we're putting that up. And so maybe I can make the rounds again when that gets up and running and we could play a clip or two, but just let everybody know that it's available if and when that, when that happens. Oh, that'd be great. That'd be great. Yeah. So again, um, get the book, uh, visit fightforme.net. That'll be in the show notes um, and send Alan a message. He'd love to hear from you. So again, Alan, thank you for joining us. Um, appreciate it. And again, you've been listening to Being a Dad on Purpose, uh, a podcast is just here to encourage you as dads. And again, um, this is just a step for us to be able to encourage our children to be present in their lives. And like I say at the end of every podcast, we are not here to be the best dads in the world. It's not possible. We're just here to be the best dads for our kids right now. So step in, be present, fill in the gaps, um, and encourage them. All right. We'll talk to you next time. Bye.